0: Welcome to this week's Refresh and Restore Bible Study, where we are studying the book of Colossians in a series we're calling Jesus Over All. Our passage today is Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. And here's what the word of the Lord says. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Greetings, Sojourners. It seems that as I grow older, although not yet old, it just seems that things take a little bit longer. As Indiana Jones says, it ain't the years, it's the mileage. This has been especially the case with our Bible studies together. Essentially, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is I'm getting to the stage of life where I'm more convinced, or maybe just more convicted that if something is worth doing, it's worth doing well. And part of that is, as I do grow older and my responsibilities and opportunities grow too, is that I don't have to get everything done. I don't have to check every box on my to-do list. The Lord knows what he wants me to do and how much time each task of his is going to take. So I trust that as I spend my time each week, nothing is wasted if I spend that time pursuing him and looking to serve him well in all areas of my life. Part of that is daily choosing to take off the old self and put on Christ, as Paul's talking about here in this section of Colossians. Just as each day starts with getting out of bed, taking off the bed clothes, rinsing off the old in the shower, and putting on what I need for the day, deodorant, clothes, clothes, decent volume of hairspray, bifocals, I've got to consciously lay out in my mind and meditate on what it means to put on Christ before heading out to meet the day. Now, my wife is a pro when it comes to laying out what needs to be put on the next day and how what is taken off is to be cleared away. I don't mean this sarcastically or joking. Uh, I'm serious. She's probably a little more hopeful with the kids as they're probably more trainable, but the kids and I are blessed to have her remind us to lay out our clothes for the next day, to remove the old, to be washed or discarded as needed. When we follow her instructions, when we do this, there are no distractions or detours when it comes to getting ready the next day. When we listen to her, again, and follow those instructions, we can get up. We can take off the old and put on the new. It just works. When we get off course, though, it seems like everything goes awry. Socks can't be found. Shoes have been misplaced. Questions of whether we even have pants to wear or if the homework made it to the backpack instead of the coffee table or if everyone's teeth are brushed, it never fails that because of our lack. Of laying things out, being prepared to put things on, that precious time has been wasted, we're close to running late, or something has simply been left. But wouldn't it just be so much simpler if we laid out what we need to put on and take with us for the next day? And could it be that walking with Christ is somehow similar? Our past few Bible studies have walked through the parts of Colossians 3 Verses 1 through 14 that talk to us about keeping our eyes set on Christ. That we studied what it means to take off the old self and remove the sin that clings to us like dirt. We've also studied who we are supposed to be God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, we're getting to the practical part of walking with Christ what to wear. Now, because of its practical nature, this Bible study has been difficult for me to complete. I want it to be clear. I, I I need to be clear, especially considering that this list of things to, to quote, put on is not a list of practical tips for a better life. In fact, this list, these things on it, they can't be truly put on if one isn't saved. Now, I'm not saying that to exclude people, and I'm also not saying it to include people. I'm merely saying it to invite you to come to Christ if you haven't. I also say that to hopefully help you understand that the Christian life, a life that has been taken from dead in sin to alive in Christ, can't, hear me here, cannot be lived apart from Christ. The commandments apart from Christ, will beat you down. They'll suffocate you. They'll smother you because they're meant to be accomplished through God's power given by His Spirit to those who have put faith in the Son. So a big part of this study is helping you understand again what it is to be in Christ. And if you find you are not in Christ, I I would love to help you come to know Him. But if you are in Christ, dear sojourner, I want to help you lay out what you're going to need to put on, namely Christ, so that you can build healthy habits, not the self-help kind of habits, but continual parts of your relationship with Christ that will strengthen your walk with him and fulfill what Paul prayed for the Colossians and and I pray for you in Colossians 1:10, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, what to wear? Those three words, what to wear, can be either a question, as in, what should I wear? or What am I supposed to wear? Or they can be an instruction telling us what we need to wear for a certain occasion or for a certain event or activity. This ain't that, but the analogy is helpful. Our righteousness, because of our sin, is the equivalent of putting on our nice dress clothes immediately after wallowing in mud. Without taking a shower or even so much as hosing off, the dress clothes will obviously be made dirty because we ourselves are unclean. We can compare putting on Christ then, at least to a small degree, to putting on fresh clothes after being cleaned by him. In this analogy, Jesus is the one who cleans us and the one who provides us with the clothing, with the attributes, with the qualities to cover us. Jesus justifies those whom he saves and covers their sin and shame with his blood, making them clean. Paul explained it to the church at Ephesus, As learning and being taught in Christ, helping us learn what it means to put off your old self, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the image that Paul's trying to get across to us in Colossians 3, 5 through 14. Our sinful flesh belongs to the way we used to be before Jesus saved us. We've got to take it off. That old life is like our grave clothes. Think about it like this. Uh, remember Lazarus in the Bible, Jesus' friend who had died, who had been dead in the tomb long enough that his decomposing body had begun to stink in John 11? What if Lazarus kept on wearing those grave clothes after he was resurrected? Now, wouldn't that be lovely and appetizing at his sister Martha's dinner party the week before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection in John 12? Nothing says, let's eat like the smell of something dead. No, his grave clothes had to be discarded. Lazarus went from death to life and came out of his tomb at Jesus' command grave clothes are for the dead. The old self and its former manner of life are products of the wages of our sin, death. And it's time for those who are alive to put on Christ instead. Well, what does that even mean? First, we need to understand that putting on Christ isn't something that we just put on and take off. Salvation and the new life that comes from Jesus saving us, that comes from him taking us who were dead in our sins and making us alive in him these things are reality they're more than a change in status they're a change of nature they're a change of our state of existence salvation isn't something that can be lost because it's not something that was accomplished by us and i know it sounds weird but salvation's kind of a paradox something that just seems contradictory that on a a human logical level, just some of it just doesn't make sense. It's from beyond us. It's bigger than us. Those who are born again have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved by Jesus. Now, of course, there is the moment of salvation when the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and we repent of that sin and confess Jesus as Lord. But he's also continually sanctifying us. That's a Bible word that means the Holy Spirit supernaturally making us more like Jesus in the new self and less like the old self. And it kind of shows that he's saving us in our daily lives. And ultimately, he's going to save us by taking us from this life into his present. The second thing that it means to put on Christ is that there will be evidence, there will be fruit of a relationship with him. This is something that we've looked at in earlier sections of Colossians. In Colossians 1.10, Paul spoke to the Colossian church, telling them what he had been praying for them, what I've already said that I've been praying for you, namely to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and bear fruit in every good work. Continually walking with Christ grows us, As it did the Colossian church, it provides more opportunities to serve him. It produces fruit in our lives. In Colossians 2.6, Paul told the Colossian church and us that we are to walk in Christ as we have received him. Again, the walk, the life, bears fruit that proves the life exists. This is similar to our talking about putting on Christ and taking off the grave clothes. Dead people have no sign of life. They're dead. Think about what we refer to as vital signs, pulse, respiration, etc. They are vital to life because without them, we're dead. In that same way, the fruit of Jesus changing our lives, that's the vital signs of our walking with him. He took out our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. His works are not written on stone tablets, but they're written on and in our hearts. James made it clear by saying that our faith will be proven, not earned, by our works. That fruit is an outward sign of inward change. Or a lack of fruit shows we're dead. This is important, and, and I don't want you to, to be able to miss this. Putting on Christ is not putting on a show. As I've already told you, trying to do the things that come from new life in Christ without him will weigh you down and beat you down quicker if you're not saved. That's what religion is and can be. Nothing will burn you out and make you want to quit quicker than trying to accomplish what only God's Spirit can accomplish. If there's no fruit, there's no life. Jesus uh, told his disciples a parable uh, about this. He talked to them about a, a fruitless tree in Luke thirteen six through 9. A man who owned a vineyard had a fig tree that was supposed to be bearing fruit and had been of fruit-bearing age for three years yet it never produced a single fig. The vineyard owner told the gardener in charge of the fig tree to just cut it down. It was a waste of space. It was a waste of soil. It was not producing fruit. The gardener convinced the owner to just give it another year, a year where he would try everything he could to make the tree healthy and produce fruit. He was going to dig around it. He was going to put manure around it to fertilize it. He was going to help the tree bear fruit. But ultimately, at the end of that year, if there were no figs on that tree, the gardener was going to cut it down because it was dead. A fruitless fig tree ain't a fig tree. So it is with us. Those who are connected to Christ, connected to him like a vine, uh, produce fruit because of the life he gives. But any who profess to be alive in Christ, who are altogether fruitless, y'all, they're, they're still dead in their sins. There's, that, that's just how it is. Now, I, I know this might sound harsh, and, and from a worldly perspective probably sounds judgmental this section in particular is most of what's taken so long for this bible study to develop because i don't want you to be beat down with a religious argument i don't want you to think that i'm putting qualifications on you that you can't meet or or even think i'm able to give you things to do in and of myself so if you're looking at your life and, and you don't see any fruit of Jesus saving you, any fruit of new life, any fruit that points to him, this isn't me trying to hurt your feelings. This is a gift from God that if you can come to realize that you're dead in your sins, you can turn to Jesus and be saved. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Religion can beat you down, but the mighty hand of God is there, extended, to lift you up. If you see no fruit of Christ in your life, if you see none of his life and only yours, this is me begging and pleading with you to look to him, repent of your sin, confess him as Lord, and believe on him. He will surely save you. But if you're looking at your life and You see fruit no matter how small. This next part is for you. Let's look and see what he would have us wear. In this part, we're going to talk about what we put on when we put on Christ. This essentially is our wardrobe. If we put on Christ, that wardrobe consists of compassion, kindness, humility, patience, enduring care, forgiveness, and love. These things stem from what we see in Jesus. Each of them can be clearly associated with Him, just as the sins of Colossians 3, verses 5 through 9, are clearly associated with us and our sin. So I want to treat these words, these articles of clothing, if you will, as they're presented here, uh, similarly to how we did when we walked through the sins. In those verses and today's, I use the same lexicon, same Greek dictionary for all the words to present their definitions fairly. So we're not fooling around or whittling with the context to fit some kind of agenda. We just look at what the words mean as they're presented. Even when there aren't quotations, uh, and I do urge you to look at the written version of this one. I, talking about it, listening to it's not going to do it justice. This is something for you to dig into. And so even when you don't see things in quotations, they come from the complete word study dictionary of the New Testament by brilliant Greek scholar Spiros Zotiates. Uh, But more importantly, what I want you to see is I've included all of the verses in the New Testament. We won't hit them all in the audible version of this, but in the written version, every verse in the New Testament and a few from the Old Testament, they're going to be in there. So I, I know this might seem kind of nerdy or boring, but I I want you to see what the fruit Of knowing Christ is supposed to look like. I want you to see what the new life in Christ is supposed to be. I want to show you Him. And so we begin. The first item of clothing is compassionate hearts. That word shows the pity or compassion one shows for the suffering of others. It's not as strong as the word usually used to describe God's mercy ultimately because we're not capable of the same mercy as God, but it is a result of having received mercy from God. The word for hearts that accompanies it is basically a word for the insides, meaning that this compassion isn't something we just show. It's a result of receiving mercy from Jesus. This compassion comes from inside of us, out of the new life in Jesus. This compassion is fruit. It is this word seen in verses like Philippians 2 1. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, right, that comes from knowing Christ, it is. Uh, In the description in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. That we are capable of showing that compassion because we have received compassion from the Lord. The next item of clothing is kindness. This word is translated throughout the New Testament as good, kindness, or even gentleness. It's kind of hard to explain this word with a simple definition because it's kind of a byproduct of having received grace. The grace of God spreads through one's whole self. It softens the sharp edges of our personalities. It mellows out what was once harsh. In fact, it's the word used in Luke five thirty-nine to talk about why old wine is better because it's been mellowed with age. This word isn't so much describing kind actions, but it's a description of kindness in one's character. It's fruit of having received kindness from the Lord. Uh, It's seen in passages like Romans chapter 2, verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the Lord's kindness is meant to re- lead you to repentance? That we presume on his kindness, and we need to understand that he's kind to us to lead us to repentance. It's the verse we see in Ephesians chapter two, verse seven that says, So in the coming ages, Jesus might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It is in the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. It's in Titus 3:4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appears, that kindness changes us and it produces fruit in our lives. Next item of clothing, humility. Now, we all think we understand humility or being humble, but sometimes we're fake humble. Zodiates does a good job with this explanation by saying that this word means esteeming ourselves small in as much as we are so, meaning that we look at ourselves and we have a correct estimate of. Of ourselves. To illustrate, this sort of humility is seen in a sinner who realizes that he or she is unworthy of the grace of God and confesses that sin to God, repenting of it. This word is especially important to the Colossian church because a fake religious version of this was already talked about in chapter 2, verses 18 and 23 with the word asceticism. That was a fake humility that was meant to make people look holier than they were. The genuine form of this can't be faked. It's fruit. We see it in passages like uh, 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's what we see in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You see it in how you respond toward others because God has changed your life. The next item of clothing, meekness. Now, there's really not a good translation of this word because meekness in English is usually associated with being weak or coming from a position of weakness. This ain't that. This word comes from a position of power. It's a heart and mind that demonstrates gentleness and grace because the person knows who they are. More importantly, they know whose they are. This is confident action. It's fruit we see it here. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.23 Gentleness. It is in 2 Corinthians 10.1 where Paul says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. He's saying I'm, I'm coming to you as Christ does. As Christ has influenced me. Right? It's It's different. It's as in Titus chapter 3, verse 2, talking about how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. It's strongly choosing to be meek. It is powerfully allowing yourself to be gentle. It's fruit. The next item of clothing is patience, and it's the last of the single word items of clothing. This word is different than we might typically think of in regard to patience, or at least it differs from how we mean patience sometimes. It's less about endurance or enduring things, just getting through them than it is about faith in or respect toward others. It's what the King James translators called long-suffering, a sense of self-restraint before proceeding to action. It's the quality one would have if they were able to avenge themselves after being done wrong, but choosing not to avenge themselves. It is fruit. It is seen in passages like, well, Galatians 5.22, it's patience in the fruit of the Spirit. It's seen in Colossians 1.11, where it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. It's used to describe Jesus' patience with us in 1 Timothy 1.16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And one, one of my favorite verses uh, in the Bible describing the patience of Jesus in salvation, Second Peter 3.15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. That Jesus, who in his righteous anger and might could have smoked us the first minute we sinned, yet was patient and let us grow, let us hear his gospel, let us be saved that's the patience we're talking about here. Flowing out of those qualities, those items of clothing or attributes, are a few that are written out in phrases or sentences rather than in words we can break down easily and define. The first of those is bearing with one another. The compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience are to be shown to others, especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially in the context of the local church. There are so many factors and factions in this world competing with and antagonizing the local church. May it not be so that we are warring against one another inside a local church or that we claim Christ and aren't even a part of the local church. Yes, churches are made up of people, sinners saved by grace, but sometimes we live and act as if we have never received the grace and mercy of Christ ourselves. This is part of what Paul's talking about here. The fruit of receiving grace and mercy is extending grace and mercy to others. Think about what our faith families would be like if we showed grace to one another regularly instead of just when there are extraordinary burdens that need bearing. But part of bearing with one another is, well, that's the next quality. If one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. Whew, this one's tough. So often we want to look at how to confront people, biblically or sinfully. But it's clear here that it's more fruitful to forgive. I think about times, especially a few recently, that I find myself suddenly convicted of, I think about times when I want to confront someone over some slight or hurt against me. How arrogant and selfish I am sometimes. What gives me the right to confront and call folks to the carpet when Jesus has been so forgiving, so merciful to me? That's part of forbearance. That's part of passing over former sins. But to do that means that we must As it says in Philippians 2 verse 3, we must in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Forgiveness isn't easy. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be fruit of Jesus forgiving us. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That kind of tears down our selfish and prideful arguments of who deserves better or who needs to know what Uh, Paul tells the Colossian church and us today that we must forgive, not should forgive or could forgive if whatever. This is imperative. This is fruit. To wrap up, this last item of clothing or quality of putting on Christ, it really brings the whole outfit together. It's kind of like how my school kiddos pick at me when I'm dressed well, which isn't very often. They tell me I need to do what they call a fit check. It's usually when I wear a sport coat or vest that draws attention to my clothes. Uh, is an item that take the clothes and make them into an outfit. Again, as this is what I've been told by knowledgeable and well-meaning sophomores. Love, Paul tells us here, should be put on above all the others. The Greek word we see for love here is one you're likely familiar with. It's agape this is the love with which God loves. We only know it and can show it if we have received his love. That John 3:16 sort of love where God gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Agape is the love that God demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's unexplainable. But then again, isn't all love too complex to be put into words? Thankfully, those who are putting on Christ have his word to depend on and explain him to us and others. Just as John 3.16 and Romans 5.8 show us some aspects of God's agape towards those he saves, it serves us well to look at the word to see how his love bears fruit in our lives and helps us to love others. I'm tempted here because I've gone longer than originally planned to just snip at a few verses. But as Dane Ortland rightly says, the safest way to theological fidelity is sticking close to the biblical text. So we're going to take a good-sized chunk of 1 John 4, not to break apart from more Bible study, but to build us up and see why agape binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's look real quick here at 1 John 4, 7 through 19. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Love, complex and simple. But in the context of putting on Christ, love is fruit. 1 John 4, 19 sums it up so aptly. We are capable of agape only if we have received agape. Those who are chosen of God, holy and beloved, can have compassion welling up within them because God has had compassion on them because he loves them. They can be kind because God in love has been kind to them. They can humbly look at themselves for who they are because who they are is loved by God. They can demonstrate grace and mercy appropriately because God in love pours grace and mercy in immeasurable proportions into their lives. They can patiently endure whatever because God has been, is, and will be patient with them because that's what he does for his beloved. We can bear with others and forgive them because Jesus loved us enough to forgive us and continues to do so as we need it putting on Christ then is taking the love he gave us turning it back toward others putting on Christ is showing the love and care Christ has for his bride the church and turning it toward our own local churches putting on Christ is showing his gospel love to the world by sharing his gospel with them so that people will come to know him putting on Christ is more of him and less of us until we get to the point where we can see him face to face. Because y'all at that point, we won't need to put on Christ because he'll be right there with us. Oh, what a day that will be.